Welcome, everyone. Our first guest ever on the podcast is Julianne Hartley of Miss Julianne Music. I've known Julianne probably since elementary school, but it wasn't until after college that we connected over our love of nature and more natural ways of living. She's a board-certified music therapist and children's musician, focusing on resilience and coping skills with children. She's a nature educator, enjoys illustration, gardening, and hiking, and she completed the Appalachian Trail in 2015. We have worked together on different projects, and she also contributed some nourishing recipes to Tell Magazine back in the early days of publication. In this episode, we will discuss her Lyme disease and her struggles with body image, and what her healing journey has looked like. Just a heads up that this episode discusses eating disorders and a slight mention of suicidal ideation. Please take care of your mental health first before listening. Also, since this episode was recorded over a year ago, stay tuned for an update from Julianne at the end of this episode. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here with Julianne Hartley, who I've known for a long time. Hey, Jen. How's it going? (laughs) Oh my God, I'm so excited that you're doing this. You meet so many cool people throughout your day, like day to day. You Mm -hmm. just meet so many cool people. So I love that you are going to start capturing their stories. Yes, I've heard a lot of really interesting stories from people um, throughout the years of my career, and I really thought that it would be important to bring them to the masses and talk about everyone's journeys, and you were definitely on my list. (laughs) I know, I'm so excited, and I feel, you know, we've known each other for so long, Mm -hmm. right, and so you know so much of my story, more so than most people Mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. (laughs) Um, you know, the other thing I was thinking about is like you share people's stories visually mm-hmm. yep. throughout your whole career yes. and that's what you've been used to. And, yeah. you know, in your pictures are obviously gorgeous and Thanks. everyone, <laughs> uh, you know, wants you to capture their, you know, their brief moments, but you know, those are just like the cherry on top behind these giant stories. And yeah. unfortunately, even with a photo, like, yes, you can tell a story, but you can only show so much of it. Right. And this is the new jump into my, uh, or outside of my comfort zone. But, um, yeah, I think hearing the stories from pe- the people themselves is really interesting, coupled with photography, videography, and yeah. all the things. So. I, I wonder, <laughs> you know, if there's like an archetype of person, there's like the storyteller. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. I think a lot of creative people, right? Yeah. Like we are storytellers and it's just like, well, which art form do we want to tell our story with? Right. Yeah, exactly. And for some of us, it's all of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how yes. do I tell my story yeah. with all of them? Like I need every tool possible right. yeah. to tell all of these stories because they're all so fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I've always been really interested in um, journalism as a whole. Yes. Um, you know, can I interrupt this for yes. again? Yes. I, well, this can be part of it. But um, I was at the Grammys with someone, and they were talking about how hard it was to make small talk, mm. right? Like, oh my gosh, and this person is definitely a leader in their field, but it's not the music field. So they were like at these Grammys as a guest, and they're not um, really in the music field that much, but they're a leader in another field. And when they are in their field, everyone knows them, everyone recognizes them, everyone wants to talk to them. But in this world, no one knew who they were. 
And so if this person wanted to build a connection with anyone, they had to start from the ground up because no one knew who that person was. There was nothing established. Mm. And they were just saying how hard it was to make that small talk because no one was prompting them with all those questions. Like, they had to be the one seeking that engagement Mm -hmm. and building that relationship. And my biggest advice to anyone who has a hard time with small talk, just ask someone their story. Mm-hmm. Right, because everyone's got a story, and they're all fascinating. Yes. Like, I, so I've been taking Uber a lot lately. Mm-hmm. That's another one where I'm just I'm like, all right, we've got 25 minutes. Tell me your story. Yeah, and every time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and every time at the end of it, I'm just like, wow, <laughs> wow. Probably learned so many cool things about people. Yes, yeah, and so um, I think what's so cool is you are going to be able to tell people's stories, and people's stories are really interesting. Yes. All unique, too. So, start from the beginning. <laughs> what was your childhood like, or what were you like as a child? Yeah, so I was pretty shy and quiet. Um, I grew, had, I have three sisters, but two I grew up with. And um, I was always a very musical child. So, I remember, like, in first grade, I had my first music teacher gave me permission to write a song. I think she just told the whole class, like, hey, like, go, you guys can write music too, right? I I don't even know what she said, but for whatever reason, I went home that night and I wrote a song about birds. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. like six or seven years old and I write the song about birds. I have no idea what the song is. I don't remember it at all. But I just remember going into my teacher the next day and being like, I wrote a song about birds. I, I didn't know anything about music. I didn't know how to play any instruments. All I knew was just how to use my voice. And so I sang the song to her, and she immediately start, went over to the piano and started figuring out the chords and like, started accompanying me on my little song about birds. And I've just been writing music ever since. Wow. Um, yeah, and I think for me, you were talking about our childhood, for me it was part drive like I had to this was clearly like the spark that makes me me Mm -hmm. um but then part of it was also an escape right so like I grew up in a house where there was a lot of conflict a lot of the time and there was some bullying from from multiple family members (laughs) right and um it was a very athletic family but I had terrible asthma so I was not an athlete when I was very little, um, like in the elementary school, middle school phase of my life. And music was like the one thing I could be good at, the one thing I could do, and like the one thing I could kind of excel at without having like the physical limitations of my body holding yeah. me back. Mm-hmm. Um, and my sisters weren't too involved in it either, so there was no, it just was like my own thing. And so it was definitely an escape. It was a happy place for me. And I'm so grateful I had that because I had a therapy place, right? Like I, I had something to connect yeah, with yeah. through a lot of that trauma, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And then, so this is a side topic, but <laughs> I was a fat kid growing up, right? And that was also really hard. I was bullied a lot for it from wi- from within my family and from within school. Mm-hmm. And then I remember there was a period of time of like fifth and sixth grade 
I got bullied a lot by like the kids in our grade. And I know that's a common experience with a lot of people with different things. Um, but that was really, really hard for me. And then later on in life and in high school, I basically starved myself Hmm. and I wasn't like full, full eating disorder. I still ate some calories, but, um, I was probably eating like 900 calories a day and then doing two and a half hours of sports after school every day. Mm -hmm. And that got me down to a weight where I was considered not obese. And if I stopped any of that, if I ate any more, if I stopped any of that exercise, my weight just kind of wanted to be heavier. Like that was my comfort zone. Um, So that was, I would say like that's also a big piece of me is dealing with body image around my weight Mm -hmm. and that was really how do I put it I think that also really helped shape who I am today because of those struggles to want to be accepted and the only way I thought I could be accepted was if I was 120 pounds Mm -hmm. um which god (laughs) if there's like any women listening to this or men listening to this right now just like let's let that go yeah let's let that go (laughs) It is amazing how those experiences really shape your entire being for a yeah, long time. But still, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, I am so far past that and I'm pregnant right now, mm-hmm. right? And so weight gain is part of this journey. Right. Yeah. And um to be so far past that and to still be having nightmares about it mm, or still wow. being yeah. triggered about it, mm-hmm. you know, and totally. um still looking in the mirror and being like, Am I gaining too much weight too fast? Like, mm-hmm. oh no, is it, are people gonna think I'm lazy or worthless or or whatever like all of these terrible things I know no one actually thinks about me Mm -hmm. um yeah they can really kind of come back to haunt you so that's that's kind of another piece of who I am I guess like yeah the childhood trauma (laughs) like (laughs) like emotional um disturbances in my household growing up and then um dealing with a lot of body shaming fat shaming bullying Growing up, mm-hmm. music was my escape from all that, right? <laughs> Which like, is a beautiful escape. Yeah, it was a beautiful escape. When did and, you... Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say one more thing about <laughs> mm-hmm. the weight thing. And I just... You know, I don't... For anyone that does not... It, you know, my body can go up and down 20 or 30 pounds just based off of whether I'm not... Like, weird hormone thing. You know, it's just when you grow up with lots of hormonal issues and chronic illnesses and stuff, weight can fluctuate. And I think what's still hard about that is I notice a, there's a noticeable difference in the way you're treated in the healthcare world, whether (laughs) if you're 120 pounds versus 160 or 150 or something. And then also as a child growing up, it was so, so like such a noticeable difference in the attention I got from family and friends because mm-hmm. it was in high school when I was really right. starving myself that suddenly I had all these mm-hmm. friends and suddenly yeah. I had boys interested in it's me. like reinforcing all these things yeah. that were in your head. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's like how much of it is it irrational and in our head and how much of it is like actual cultural pressure that mm-hmm. we experienced growing up. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I know eventually we'll get to this, but the album that I'm working on right now, right? It's a this kids album that's all focused on helping kids build these core resilience skills. So much of this is just inspired by, you know, these struggles I dealt with mm. as a child. 
and wanting to make sure that, you know, young children growing up know that they're worthy of the food that they're eating. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. And they don't need mm-hmm. to, like, justify every calorie that they consume. Yeah. and mm-hmm. Or, you know, justify their body image or any anything like that. Um, yeah. When did you feel like there was that shift into a different mindset or... Um, I don't know, because I remember you in high school, and then we kind of came together as friends more so after college, Mm -hmm. and at that point, I remember you were really into the, um, nutritional nutritional therapy, therapy. (laughs) um, and working past, or at least through, like, body image stuff, and health, and illness, and this was before your Lyme diagnosis, when we first started hanging out. Um, so I'm curious, like, in between, like, high school and then, where was the shift into that, if that makes sense? (laughs) Yeah, I think, I remember in college, I, so keep in mind, I was a double major in college. I was Mm -hmm. working five different jobs. (laughs) I was running cross country on our sports team. I was the fastest cross country runner on our sports team. I mean, on our cross country team. We're not very good, but like I, I was a hardcore exerciseaholic, was really careful with all of my calories and everything. And, um, I remember at one point I had a college professor who I really loved and she was the first person to hint to me. She was like, you know, have you ever been to therapy? <laughs> you know, everyone should go to therapy. I think everyone should go. I think you should go. <laughs> and um, and I remember seeing a therapist and none of it was about my weight. It was all about, you know, working through some of that childhood stuff. Mm-hmm. And I remember just kind of crying one day in a session because I wasn't at my goal weight yet. And I was like exercising so hard. And at this point, I was like training for half marathons and all uh. of this on top of so much schoolwork. Right. And, um, and working and there's just so much. And I, I remember she just asked me, she was like, well, what is the weight that will be enough for you? Like, what is the mm. weight that you're going to be uh, happy at? Such a poignant question. Yeah. And I was just like 125 pounds. I'm going to be happy when I'm 125 pounds. Keep in mind, I was like 128 pounds. Yeah. Right. At the time, like uh, starving myself, mm-hmm. totally overworked right. and total heading towards an adrenal fatigue collapse. Mm-hmm burning out um and I think that started to sink in being like when yeah like okay when will that be enough um and then when I started doing the nutritional therapy training and just learning oh my god like I've worked myself into an adrenal fatigue like this is not like I can't you cannot starve yourself for over a decade Mm -hmm. and be healthy like that's does not work and even then, though, I think I still really would fluctuate because um, then I got really sick and my weight would go up and down and up and down. Um, but eventually I couldn't digest any food. Mm-hmm. And so I just dropped all my weight and um, I got really skinny. This is like, you know, a few years ago. And um, I was literally, my body was literally cannibalizing its own muscle. Mm-hmm. And like I'd go into the physical therapist and they'd be like, oh my gosh, you've lost so much muscle since two weeks ago when I last saw you. two weeks. Yeah, they'd be like, oh my, like, yeah, I remember, I remember one day I, I had to do a lot of dry needling because I I had so much back pain and I, which you would if your body was eating its own Mm -hmm. muscle tissue, (laughs) right? (laughs) Um, And I remember taking off my shirt and my physical therapist, he was just like, like, it's just 
so much loss since two weeks ago. Um, and, but I was never underweight. Right. So like some of my doctors and some of my family members are like, Oh my God, you look amazing. Mm -hmm. You're doing great. You look amazing. (laughs) And it was, there was just a few doctors that were like, God, this is terrible. Yeah. Like we have to fix this. This is terrible. Mm -hmm. Like we need to get you able to eat more. And it must've been so conflicting in your head. I'm sure to hear all these different things like validation and then like you're unhealthy. Yes. Yes. Very. (laughs) And, you know, at the same time, I was disabled. I was completely disabled. I was, like, literally on medical disability. Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't, at this point, my line was so bad. Like, I couldn't drive. I couldn't work. I, like, could barely sit up. I could barely stand. And that would be the case if, like, you are literally not digesting anything Mm -hmm. and you're not consuming anything and like you can't handle any food um, and your body's literally cannibalizing itself. That would be the case that you cannot sit or stand Mm -hmm. or or do these things. But I kept, you know, this is so, I don't normally talk about this, but this is, I think it's something important to know. Like if someone has not had these struggles in their life to know how pervasive they can be at that moment, right? I'm like, a smallest point I'd been in so long, um, I thought, well, yeah, I'm disabled, but at least I'm skinny. Mm. <laughs> you know? Like, Just well, people wild. will still like me because mm-hmm. I'm skinny. Right. People will still be around me because I'm skinny. Yeah. I can't eat anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, even if Your I wanted to. Your brain still goes there because but, it's just been, like, ingrained in you mm-hmm. for so long. I can't work. I can't. I can barely even take care of myself. Mm-hmm. But at least I'm skinny. Yep. <laughs> And did a lot of this self-worth type stuff come from, like, childhood, the things you experienced, the bullying? It's all tied into that. It's all tied into that. Yeah, yeah it is all tied in. I grew in a really fat-phobic family, yeah. too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, my poor mother is, is built like me, and, and there was a lot of messaging around her body that I heard growing up. It was never necessarily messaging around my body, but it was observing the messaging around her body mm-hmm. right. and how hard she had to work mm-hmm. to starve herself to gain the love of... Yeah of the immediate people in her life. Mm-hmm. And that was very obvious that it was tied to her weight. Yeah. Um, so that was really, you know, when those are your first imagings of what a healthy relationship is, that's really hard, yeah. you know? Extremely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I think, I think my other thought, what finally really sunk home with, with, the weight issue, like what has totally changed the game for me. I've been listening to the Functional Nutritionist podcast yeah, with Erin Holt. Mm-hmm. She's amazing. Yes. And I remember one day I was listening and she was like, you cannot heal and be losing weight. Mm-hmm. You cannot be in a caloric restriction and be healing. Right. And that's when I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm not going to get better if mm-hmm. I cannot figure out a way to eat food and right. digest it. And I ended up working with I ended up getting um, a blood sugar monitor, like a on-your-arm oh, blood sugar okay. monitor. Mm-hmm. And I wore that for a year, and mm-hmm. I worked with a nutritionist, a registered dietitian that had a specialty in, like, severe chronic neurological illnesses, like where my Lyme disease yeah. was. And she basically, every day, we chatted, and she walked me through, like, okay, we're going to have... 
a tiny bit of turkey right now and mm. a little bit more. Yeah. And then like through the weeks as the weeks gone on, like we just slowly brought up my food amount, right? So because mm-hmm. my digestive system was so weak, like I couldn't yeah. even digest that mm-hmm. much. And so wow. we had to like slowly bring that up hmm. to help me accommodate me eating more and more and more. And obviously I gained weight throughout that process. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like that was also terrifying, yeah. but I could see all my blood work is mm-hmm. improving and like the charts I'm, don't lie. Yes. And like <laughs> I'm gaining, like, you know, we're doing all this blood work on my nutrients and I was before, before I started like refeeding, it was literally a refeeding program, wow. right? Yeah. Before I started refeeding, I mean, I was severely deficient in mm-hmm. like everything, everything across yeah. the board and like, you know, my heart was giving, I mean, I mean, a lot of this was the lime, but it was like the combination of the lime mm-hmm. and the starvation um, kind of playing into each other. And so, yeah. So I guess I just spent, I basically spent the last two years doing everything I can each day just to eat the bare minimum calories mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be eating. Right. Wow. Which for me is, is not 900 calories. Yeah. Like yeah. I was eating all growing up <laughs> yeah. Shouldn't and be. exercising for three hours. Mm. It is like 1900 to 2000 yeah. or 2100 right. right like you actually need more calories to heal i didn't realize that you actually need more calories in, mm-hmm. to heal which nobody tells you by the way right in yeah anything. yeah <laughs> keep in mind like my primary care doctor is just yeah. like silent through all mm-hmm. of this like oh your weight's great <laughs> so i don't see yeah. anything wrong here <laughs> yeah, it's totally yeah, fine, it's, it's totally fine. <laughs> um yeah so i've done a lot of work especially in the last two years mm-hmm reframing that body image situation and just trying really hard when I look in the mirror now to be like yeah you ate all your calories today you're being a healthy human yes and that concept (laughs) of like earning your exercise versus earning rest you know that was another concept Mm. Baron Holt said yeah and I was just like Ooh. Yeah. Again, nobody talks about no. that or teaches you that. <laughs> right. Right. And so now in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, did I sleep last night? Yes. Okay. I can go for my walk today. Yep. <laughs> right. And also like working with this incredible team that I worked in the last two years to realize that when I did not eat enough calories, I did not sleep. Mm-hmm. And that was keeping me from healing. It's yeah. like I had eaten enough calories to sleep. Mm-hmm. If I overexercise in a day, I would not sleep. So I had to, like, work up my yeah. exercise and tolerance. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, I can go for a 10-minute walk. Did I sleep after that night? Yes, I did. Okay, so I'm going to go for a 15-minute walk now. Did I sleep? Yes. Okay, <laughs> now I'm going to, like, slowly increasing that amount of time mm-hmm. that I could walk. Did you, because you're a high-achieving person, Yeah. Um, as a lot of entrepreneurs are, um, when you were going through your healing journey, did you feel like you were also trying to be high-achieving in that standpoint, too? That's something that I've just noticed with people when mm. they are high achieving individuals, when they go through a healing journey, they're like, oh, I have to hit all these things and do exactly what the doctor says and like kind of moving that energy to that space. I don't know if you experienced that as well. I think I took like my high achieving energy and threw it into the research of mm, everything. Okay. <laughs> and it was like, I'm going to research my way out yeah. of this. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, I think I, I kind of challenged channeled it that way but I honestly think like that's part of the reason I'm still alive is because of that attitude right like I can research my way out of Mm -hmm. this I can figure it out like I can do this I can figure it out and I definitely have friends in the Lyme world that are not alive today Mm -hmm. right and because they kind of gave up on that or were in so much pain and didn't have weren't able to get to a place where they felt the hope Mm -hmm. of being able to research their way out of that Mm -hmm. do you want to talk about your Lyme journey at all sure where it began 
I know. <laughs> we're like, who is this? Like, what is this lady? What is her business even doing? I'll but... be doing an intro. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, okay, so I, I was bit in 2012. I had a giant red purple mark on my arm. It was not a bullseye. And um, I had 103.6 degree fever come oh. out of nowhere. Huh. Yeah. And I was like delirious, totally delirious with fever. And my mom like broke the fever by feeding me Tylenol overnight. So this was after college. I had like just graduated. I was living with my mom um, for a little bit. Yeah. And my dad had had the same mark on his leg when he was bit a few months earlier. And he was tested for Lyme right away, diagnosed with Lyme, treated right away. And <laughs> I went into the doctor about a week after my fever because the fever kept coming and going and coming and going. Mm -hmm. And um, he was like, it's just a virus. And I was like, can you test me for Lyme? And he's like, well, do you want to be on a month of antibiotics? And I was like, no. Question so mark. we left it there. <laughs> and he never tested me. I was never That's tested. <laughs> yeah. And I, my health just like... I think the combination of I was a really burnt out, weak body that really didn't have much to fight this mm -hmm. illness with, my health just kind of s declined slowly and slowly, slowly. And actually, that's what turned me on to the nutritional therapy because I was trying to research my way out of right. it, right? I was yeah. like, oh, well, I just need to figure out which foods I need to mm -hmm. eat and which herbs I need to take. And um, yeah, so I think... That's where it all started. And then, then I hiked the Appalachian Trail, um, which I know you're thinking, like, well, how sick, sick could you have been to hike the Appalachian Trail? But at that point, I was like, I had kept it under control through diet. Like, I learned a, not, a lot through the nutritional therapy program. Mm -hmm. And I think I was keeping it under control because my arthritis was a lot better. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, I developed severe arthritis <laughs> after the tick bite and then still, like... Yeah, nothing. Yeah, you were were you paleo when you were hiking? Yeah, I was okay. I was totally paleo, yeah. autoimmune paleo hmm. when I hiked the Appalachian Trail, which meant I survived the entire Appalachian Trail off of dried meats, <laughs> dried vegetables and fruits and like coconut. That I just survived yeah. off of. Um, and I had a whole bunch of sponsors. Yeah. Like I just reached out to a ton of companies and got <laughs> sponsors because dried meat is very expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um and that worked out really well, but then after the Appalachian Trail, I think I was so burnt out. I mean, I got, I, like, tore my Achilles on the AT. I just, like, my health just declined rapidly. Mm -hmm. And it would if you're hiking 20 miles right. a day and yeah. barely eating enough mm -hmm. and, like, in a healing state to begin yeah. with. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Pushing it. Earn your Appalachian Trail, people. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to do it, like, really, like, get healthy before you do it. But I did it because I am a, like, I was brought up to keep going until someone has to physically drag you away. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, until you collapse, you're still going. Right. And that made me a great student athlete. Mm -hmm. That made me a I feel like we were taught that in our sports. We were. We were taught that. <laughs> Go into land yeah. and try to pick you up on this field. And it was like, how messed up is that? It's like, that was the way we were brought up? Yeah. Like, it's not like, go and listen to your body when you need a break, take a break. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, oh, you know, like, 
we don't need you to be healthy athletes. We just need you to yeah, be and like we all got hurt killing yourself, <laughs> and we're like sixteen years old, yeah. and now the rest of our life we're dealing with mm-hmm. these chronic injuries. Yes. <laughs> like what? It's fine. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, it's crazy. We just gotta win that state championship. Yeah. That's what's it's important. Just high school. I know. <laughs> yeah, I think back to all of these. Like we put so much importance on things mm-hmm. and, and priorities and areas. It's just like. That does not matter, what my friend. What was that? that yeah. What was that? <laughs> um, yeah, so Lyme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Appalachian Trail. Yeah, yeah Appalachian yeah. Trail. Finished that. I was in a really rough shape, and I stopped pooping. Like, mm-hmm. a month after the Appalachian Trail, my whole digestive system <laughs> just stopped. It was just wow. like, bloop, shut down. And um, I finally saw a different doctor. I was like, well... I know my old doctor's just going to tell me to take Musilax, and that's mm-hmm. not right. whatever. Like, like not there, and there was no movement. This was, like, from stomach to bottom. Wow. There was nothing. It mm-hmm. was, like, total, it just felt like it was paralyzed. And I saw a new doctor, um, Dr. Laura Jones in Concord, New Hampshire, who is fantastic. She's got a giant waiting list, though. So <laughs> if anyone's, like, researching her up, giant waiting list, because she's amazing. Um, and she just, I remember just, she was the first doctor I've ever seen that was like, I believe you. Let's do some tests. Yeah. What did that feel like to have somebody finally I think I cried. You? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I just, I, it was like, I could finally breathe. Yeah. Right. Like I was with someone I could trust and someone mm-hmm. who could trust me. Right. And that, you know, validated that this yeah. wasn't all in your head. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so then of course, like we do all these tests and I have got like everything, mm-hmm. you know, my autoimmune numbers were like off the charts. Mm-hmm. My, um, my, I was obviously positive for Lyme disease cause mm-hmm. I had Lyme disease. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, oh my God, my nutrients were just like mm, tank because mm-hmm. I wasn't digesting anything. Um, yeah, and then eventually I was able to finally see a Lyme doctor, and there was a giant wait to see a Lyme doctor, so yeah. it took months mm-hmm. in order to even see the Lyme doctor. Right. And I think, like, I went nine months without pooping. I had oh to God. do an enema every single morning Ugh. to, like, move stuff through. Which, by the way, if anyone's out there listening, like, enemas are not that bad. <laughs> it is better to get it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't want just, that staying in. <laughs> just do one. <laughs> just do an enema. I, I even have, I have, I mean, I haven't had to use it in a long, 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 long time, but I've got what I call my travel turkey baster. <laughs> like, where if I'm backpacking or traveling, and I'm all stopped up, and I can't can't get it out, you just use the turkey baster. Like, you gotta get it out. You gotta, you because know, all that, all the toxins get reabsorbed, mm-hmm. right? Like, right. all of, all this waste material, yeah. it gets reabsorbed. All of these hormones yeah. get reabsorbed. We mm-hmm. want them out. We need to eliminate them. So, um, use the turkey baster, guys. Well, it's not an actual turkey baster. I think it technically is a sex toy. <laughs> but, like, you know, whatever. You can figure Multi-use out what you want to do. Yes. yes. Um, yeah, anyways, and so then eventually I, you know, I basically tried every treatment with Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. I had to stop working as a music therapist. Yes. You know, I had, I couldn't drive anymore. It affected my brain. Um, yeah, just went down that whole pathway. And then eventually, this was, we're at 2021 now, where I was, like, literally dying. You know, mm-hmm. it was, like, in my heart. I was, like, in and out of the ER. Yeah. I was having a lot of heart attack symptoms. Mm-hmm. This is, like, over a period of months where... And at one point, I remember sleeping with a radio, like, a walkie-talkie radio system huh. um, because it was faster than calling for help on my phone. Mm-hmm. And, like, I had to have this radio on me all the time because suddenly my heart would just, like, freak out and I had to be able to 
like radio whoever else was around me for help because I wouldn't be able to move. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, this like incredible miracle happened where at my wedding, so my husband and I, we had eloped before before this period, which you were our photographer at, and it was was amazing. (laughs) The most beautiful situation ever. Um, But at this point now we were having like the ceremony and a family member who I did not invite, not in purpose, but just because they were so distant, I just figured they would never want to come. They came to the <laughs> wedding. Like, they came, they showed up at this wedding. And their wedding gift to me was to send me to a private research hospital in Mexico that focuses on Lyme disease alternative treatments. And I did this hyperthermia treatment where they heated my body up to 108.8 degrees wow. kept my brain at 107 or kept my head at 107 mm, but the rest of my body was 108.8 mm-hmm. and they basically baked the bacteria out of my body it's wild to think about <laughs> yeah it's so wild and at this point I was like in and out of wheelchair I could barely mm-hmm. walk up a flight of stairs I was like legitimately having heart attack symptoms wow. every single day scary. it was so scary mm-hmm. I didn't think I was coming out it, this was summer my birthday's in August mm-hmm. and this was like June and July when May June and July was when I was like I might not make it to my birthday yeah. like I might not survive yeah. to my birthday and mm-hmm. having that be like a real thing right yeah terrifying terrifying <laughs> um so I did that treatment and I you know woke up from that procedure and once the anesthesia wore off, so like the next day, my brain was back hmm. for the first time in so long. And yes, I still can't drive. And like, obviously there, that's, there's maybe some potential nerve damage there, but, um, I could think clearly again. Wow. What did that feel like? It was amazing. <laughs> I forgot what it felt yeah. like. <laughs> I was like, what? Feels like waking up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so really for the past year and a half, it's like, okay, my body's not there, but my brain is. Mm-hmm. And just chugging along on all right. of, you know, this music project that mm-hmm. I'm working with. Yep. Being like, okay, how can I make sure that no child goes through what I just went through? Mm-hmm. Because I got so sick. I let this disease go on for so long because I was scared of upsetting a doctor. Yep. A male <laughs> doctor. I was ups- I was mm-hmm. scared of rocking the boat. I was scared of not being a people pleaser. I was scared of gaining weight so I didn't feed myself. Like, how do I make sure that no child has to go through this journey to learn the things that I now know Mm -hmm. and still trying to know? (laughs) Like, pretending I know and still, like, (laughs) trying to, like, Mm -hmm. to remind myself I know every day. And so throughout this whole journey, where was music in your life during this, these many years? Yeah, I guess music is that constant. So I call music, music is where I glow. Mm -hmm. That's like, I've decided this is a term, right? For whatever it is that like, Mm -hmm. that life force energy comes into you where like time goes way too fast, Mm -hmm. right? And and all you, you just wish you could slow it down because it just feels so good. You're just like in it completely. And for me, that is when I am sharing music with Mm -hmm. others. Like when I am... Letting myself be like, this is going to sound so hippy to <laughs> but like <laughs> a vessel for mm-hmm. like the music world yes. to sing through yeah. or to like play through. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And that feels so good. It just feels good. Um, so I guess music was there throughout all of that. 
And I think, you know, we know so much about music at this point for what it does for, so I'm a trained as a neurological music therapist, which means I kind of specialized in more neurological diseases and conditions mm -hmm. and kind of approach things from that perspective um, of like a top down, like, okay, so auditory processing is like a foundation for so many life skills. Right let's assess that. How's auditory processing going? So yeah. if your auditory processing isn't great, then your executive fun functioning skills are probably not great mm -hmm. either. Yeah. Um, and I think music was so protective of my brain throughout yeah. that whole illness mm -hmm. and throughout my whole childhood trauma. Um, and we know that, like we know that yeah. music, actively playing music, engaging in music, learning music is very protective. Mm -hmm. Um, and it helps reassign some of those parts of the brain that are affected by trauma hmm. to other, like all over the brain, so that when we're in a trauma state, so I don't know if you're aware of this, but when we're in, when our limbic system is dysregulated, our prefrontal cortex, the our, its activity level goes way down. And so executive functioning skills are very, very difficult. That's, you know, why it's hard to express ourselves in right. those moments or to like think rationally through all the steps we need to do in order to de-escalate a situation and that's often why people yell and you know they just become more and more dysregulated um i don't know what i was, where I was going with that <laughs> where was or what has music yeah where, where's the place of music oh, yeah. throughout this whole healing journey and during the Tumultuative. Tumultuative. I don't know. Yeah, so like, okay, so I'm, I'm <laughs> considering during my illness, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. I think having music to help protect my brain was like the best thing that I had. And actually when I stopped working, it meant that I wasn't making music eight hours a day anymore. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that, mm. that effect and that impact. And so I tried really hard to like make an effort to continue to make music even when I wasn't working because it was so protective. Yeah. Um, and I think also this kind of segues into this concept of when I had to stop working, I wanted to find another way to have uh, an impact, right? Because I was used to working with kids all day long. Right. <laughs> so, okay, so I want to, like, give a timeline of my album releases mm -hmm. to your listeners. So in 2018, I released my first kids' album called Therapeutic Songs for Kids. And I was still working at this time period, but I was struggling with my illness. It was kind of like I would try antibiotics, I'd get better, I'd go off them, I'd get worse, I'd try antibiotics, I'd get better. And so that album was written throughout that process. And that album was written just for my my clients, right? It was like really for my local community. Mm -hmm. But in 2019, it ended up winning a Parents' Choice Award, which is a big national body that gives out you know, a handful of these awards. And that like set my career mm -hmm. as a children's musician. Um, and then June, 2019, I had to stop working mm -hmm. because my line, I was just getting so, I was in rough shape. Yeah. And so I really like, if anyone's ever read the book, Man's Search for Meaning, um, which I highly recommend if, if anyone has not read it, um, it is about a man, a psychologist who survived the Holocaust. And what he noticed was that in order to survive the unsurvivable, right? The, the problem that looks so insurmountable, the challenge that is just so big, you have to have a purpose that is even bigger. Mm, love that. Yeah. And you have to like hang on to it. Like it is 
your life vest. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is. And so I knew going into this medical leave, I knew one of the top causes of death for chronic Lyme patients was suicide. Hmm. Wow. And I was in so much chronic pain mm-hmm. that suicide was definitely like popping, you know, like at least this, sorry, we should do a trigger warning. Yeah. Suicidal yeah. ideation was definitely like knocking on that door. Mm-hmm. It was knocking on my door and it was a lot of work to keep my brain being like, no, we're going to do another day. Mm-hmm. We're going to handle this pain for another day. Yeah. We're going to keep going. Um, but I knew I had to identify a why that was more than the pain I was experiencing. At this point, the pain I was experiencing was, um, I had nerve pain in my arms and my legs to the point where I could not sleep at all because it was, I felt like I was on fire. It literally felt like my arms and legs were on fire. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, these are the moments where you're like, okay, the opioid crisis, I could get it. Like if, if someone's in this amount of chronic pain Mm -hmm. and discomfort, either from emotional reasons or from physical, you know, from an infection, Mm -hmm. like, yep, I can get it because the alternative to it is, that suicidal ideation. Yeah. Right. And that's mm-hmm. also not cool. No. Does not feel good. Um, but so I knew I needed to identify a purpose that was bigger than all of that to keep me going yeah. through all of that pain and through that kind of hopelessness that feels like it exists in the chronic Lyme world. Mm-hmm. Um, and my purpose was to and the opioid crisis and the the intergenerational traumas that are fueling it and all the abuse that happens around that. You know, like something really small Um, and simple, you know. It's fine. (laughs) Um, And so up until basically, like, I had a contract the year before I left my medical leave and Mm -hmm. I was working with our state foster care system. okay. And these were kids. I was working with kids who were not yet placed into foster families. I was working as a part of a neurological assessment team to see if they could be rehabilitated and placed with a foster family or if they had to be in a more permanent rehabilitation setup for mm-hmm. maybe the rest of their life. Because okay. these kids had been trafficked. These mm-hmm. kids had been tied to beds, severely neglected, wow. abused. Mm-hmm. You know, some of these kids grew, you know, spent the first four life of, years of their life in a car seat right Mm -hmm. um really hard things and a lot of it a lot of these kids went through these traumas and experiences um to feed someone's unfortunately opioid addiction Mm -hmm. right to get money for this or because someone was just on unable to care for their children because (laughs) of their addiction Mm -hmm. um and so that was really hard leaving that work because it was obviously really powerful and music therapy was such an important part of that process. Um, I always saw the best of kids and I was always able to get the best assessment of what their abilities were. Um, and you know, I could, sometimes I was the first person that these kids had a strong enough relationship with, be able to trust an adult again and, Mm -hmm. and sit on my lap and let me like sing a song to them you know, mm-hmm. as if, you know, I would have like six year olds turn into like two year olds yeah. in my lap and just be like, please sing again, mm-hmm. please rock Aww. me again. Because they didn't, they didn't have that. Yeah. Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, and so leaving that work was really, really hard. Being sick was really, really hard, but I was like, okay, what if I can turn this into an opportunity to create a program that will 
basically help kids develop resilient skills as young as possible. Mm -hmm. And the reason why that is important is because resilient skills are our buffer to neurological scarring from trauma. Mm -hmm. And all of these kids, you could like, there was these brain maps that we could do and you could see this like, um, there's a classic spot in, in, in our brain that will light up really red on this brain map if you've experienced if you are a high aces child meaning you've had a lot of a lot of adverse childhood experiences you will light up on this map i light up on that map <laughs> like i light up on that map um and even though i light up on that map i think because of music a lot of my executive functioning skills are put in other places but okay so back to these kids um in order to reduce that neurological scarring if any of these kids have um, key core resilience skills. And these resilience skills are like being able to identify coping skills, being able to identify support systems, mm-hmm. or just even having a strong connection yeah. with another human right. in their life, mm-hmm. like how protective that is. Um, so I decided to use my time on medical leave to create this program, to create an album, a music album for young children that that would teach kids these core resilience skills um, in a way that we teach the ABCs, right? Like, mm-hmm. we sing the ABCs, we know yeah. it. And I thought, like, how cool is it if we had a song that was as simple that would help kids identify who they're going to go to when they need help? Mm, right. Right. The there it is. And everything. It's just right there. Yeah. It's like, oh, I need help. Who do mm-hmm. I go to? Right? Like, yeah. okay. And, like, literally the song is, who do I go to? <laughs> Perfect. Or, no, who are the people you go to? Um yeah, and it's so yeah, and so it's just like, can we do that with all these core resilience skills where we are encoding them into the brain at such a young age, at such a young level, so that when they need help, because asking for help is like the friggin' hardest thing yep. to do on this planet. <laughs> it's so hard. It's so hard. So when they need to ask for help, it's like right there at the tip of their tongue, and it's mm-hmm. not going to be so hard. Yeah. And that could be the difference between life and death for so many right. of these, you know, so many people on this planet. Absolutely. And can be the difference between falling into an addiction mm-hmm. or abusing a partner in your yes. life. Just like being able to have these core resilience skills mm-hmm. could really create such an impact on Absolutely. Yeah. ending the intergenerational traumas that are feeling the opioid mm-hmm. system. Yeah. It's amazing. Where is your music at right now? My music is at I'm in the full swing of trying to finish the album. So I've been working on this album for four years now. And keep in mind, like, half of that, I was, like, in a dying state, right? So, like, I, like, was barely working on it. I was, like, conceptualizing it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I, um, the last year has been, like, okay, we definitely got to finish this. And I'm excited to finish it. I'm excited to kind of move on from this chapter in my life, especially now that I'm healing and Mm -hmm. ready to move on with things. And then since the Grammys, I have been working with uh, a mentor, actually, in the children's music world, who is like, each week we're meeting, and she's like, okay, these are the next steps, and this is what we're going to do next, and this is what we're going to do next, because she also really believes in this program that I'm creating, Mm -hmm. and understands how powerful it could be, and really also understands how innovative it is in the the kind of children's music world. Totally. Um, And... So my hope, this is like we just set a goal, and this may not happen, so if you're listening, like, you know, <laughs> hold your horses. Um, we're hoping to release it in September before my baby comes. Mm. That is the hope, but yep. that means, you know, if anyone's ever worked on a project, especially a creative project, you know that that means the actual product has to be done 
usually like three months ahead. It's three months. Right. You need like three months yeah. ahead of time in order to get it out to the publicists and mm-hmm. to get it out to all the, the yeah. people that are going to make sure that it's a successful release. Um, so that means that my, all the music has to be done in two months. And I know that sounds, you're probably just like, oh, yeah, that's <laughs> no a big deal. <laughs> but it is a lot. Yeah. I mean, the recording, the editing, mm-hmm. the getting everyone together, because it's not just me. It's all of these incredible musicians yeah. I've met in the last, mm-hmm. you know, five years or so. And yeah. getting all of them on this and then setting it all up to, there's like this <laughs> mixing and mastering that has to happen to all of the music. And that all takes a lot of time. And you're pregnant. And I'm pregnant, <laughs> and I'm still recovering, mm-hmm. so we'll see. It might end up being next spring. Yeah. <laughs> like if we miss that deadline, then it's next spring. Either way, it's coming out. <laughs> yeah, either way, it is coming out mm-hmm. just like this baby is. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to remind myself. Two babies. Yeah, yeah, I've got two babies baby. right now. I got my yeah. music baby, and I got my baby baby, and yeah. I really want to finish up this project before my baby baby comes mm-hmm. so that my baby baby can be my, my sole focus yes. for a little while. <laughs> And before we get into baby, yeah. everything, um, tell us about the Grammys and why you went. Oh my God! Yeah, this was this was a moment of yeah. my life. <laughs> yeah. So I was invited to the Recording Academy a couple of years ago after my album, my first album, won that um, won the award, the Parents Choice Award, and that was a really cool opportunity because there is so much networking and mentorship mm-hmm. that happens yeah. within that. Which has just taught me how important it is to join professional organizations. Mm -hmm. So, like, no matter what field you're in, like, find the professional organization to join. And join and go to every one of their networking Mm -hmm. events and go to everything that you can because you're going to learn so much Mm -hmm. more about your field. So, that's what I did. And then I found out this year that I could go to the Grammys as a Recording Academy member. So, I was like, sweet, (laughs) let's do that. And I figured, like... You know, last year would have been too sick. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been physically able to travel. Yeah. This year, um, I was well enough to handle it. It was still a lot, mm-hmm. but I was able to handle it. Um, and it allowed me to meet all of these incredible children's musicians. Yay. You know, people I've been <laughs> listening to and observing and studying from for years. Being able to finally kind of meet them. Mm-hmm. That was that was the best part of it all. Like yeah. obviously being in the same room as like Taylor Swift and Adele and yeah. Harry Stylers and <laughs> Seeing Styles. Us on stage. Yeah, and Madonna <laughs> and all of these and you know, Lizzo. Yeah. You know, like all of these people. Being in the room with yeah. all of those people mm-hmm. was a totally wild. <laughs> wild and surreal moment. But it also helped in one way, it like demystified it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It took away some of that big magic mm-hmm. and that like mystery around yeah. it. So it also helps kind of remind you of your priorities. Like, yeah, would it be super cool to accept an award on that stage one day? Yeah, it would. But it doesn't feel like the, how do I put it? Before, I think I used to, like, daydream about it, right? I was like, oh, how cool would that be? And now I'm just like, on a pedestal, like, thing. But then Mm -hmm. you see that they're all shaking, too. Yeah. You know, or that they're all sweating through their clothes like we're all humans yeah everyone put their pants on that morning right everyone wiped their butts that day like we're all like it really it kind of helped just bring it back down and be Mm -hmm. like okay well what are you actually doing this for you're doing this for the kids you're doing this for this program you're going to get this out the bigger picture what is the bigger picture Mm -hmm. so i was able to like have that daydreamy experience of going to the grammys and like get that out of my system (laughs) um 
And do I hope to go there again one day as a nominee? Yes. Very much so. That would be amazing. But um, what's more so important is that I have parents reaching out to me saying like, hey, my kid was really upset and they started singing your song Mm -hmm. and they calmed down. That's the win. Mm -hmm. Totally. And you've been doing some live shows, right? Yeah, I've just been able to start doing some yeah. live shows again. <laughs> what What has that been like? You know, I was really nervous about it because even up until last fall, I was so dizzy that mm. I was really nervous. I was going to like yeah. really pass out during a show mm-hmm. because I was so dizzy. I had so much vertigo. And I think because I'm pregnant, so I have something called POTS, which is a form of dysautonomia, and I got that from Lyme. Um, and that's common after pretty severe infections. Mm-hmm. Um And it creates a lot of, like, uh, my heart rate pulsing, I mean, going really fast, and dizziness when I'm standing or Mm. sitting up. Which, like, it's really hard to do a concert laying down. Right. Like, as much as I would love to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Hey, guys, we're just gonna, we're just gonna lay down for this one. Very relaxing. Yes, very relaxing. I would love that. Kids shows tend not to be that relaxing. (laughs) Very upbeat. Mm -hmm. Um... And because my blood volume has increased so much because I'm pregnant, which is, mm. I don't know if you know that, but when you yeah, have a baby, your blood volume <laughs> increases dramatically. Wow. And um, people with POTS, some, you know, a good amount of people with POTS tend to feel a lot better. And so I'm actually, like, not dizzy uh, performing huh. right now. Thanks, so Cindy. it's been amazing. <laughs> I feel so good. I'm like, That's I'm cool. glowing again. You know, I've got my little yeah. glow back mm-hmm. where I'm like, oh, I can do this. Yeah. And I can really actually focus on the kids and not be like, don't pass out, don't pass out, don't pass out. Um, so, yeah, performing has felt really, really good again. Um, yeah, and I'm hoping to do more. You know, I also have to be really careful about you got to earn, right? It's just like earn your exercise. Yep, right. Earn Keeping your, that mindset yeah, going. Or yeah. I guess the, the relearning piece. <laughs> yes, yeah, where I have to like. Really make sure I'm resting, making sure I'm eating enough so that I continue to feel good. And then I've just said, you know, I'm due in September. I'm just not going to do any more performances after July. Yeah. Like, that's just, even probably Mm -hmm. at all during July, right? Like, June, end of June will probably be my cutoff so Mm -hmm. that I'm making, I'm working hard to protect myself. Yes. Healthy boundaries with yourself. (laughs) Yeah, healthy which is really hard when you are a super type A person. Yes. <laughs> it is like... funny how you have to like really hit that burnout point or, you know, rock bottom, close to death. Yeah. Before yes. you're like, oh, wait. Yeah. I know. No. And like, if anyone's listening to this and they haven't hit that point yet, like, don't wait until you yeah, hit that don't point. Get to that point. <laughs> don't do it. It's just not like, worth it. Just like, go have a nice big dinner tonight. Mm-hmm. Give okay yourself rest. 10 hours yeah. of sleep tonight. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, a couple days off. <laughs> yeah, you were so, you bought, scheduled vacation somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one question I'm not, I don't know if excited is the right word to ask everyone, but I guess interested is like, how did 2020 affect you? I think that it has yeah. changed and affected everybody in some way. So I'm always really mm-hmm. curious to have that conversation, even though like a lot of us are sick of talking about it, <laughs> but it really was life changing for so many people. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious. Yeah. I think for a lot of people from a business expense mm-hmm. ex- experience, it yeah. was, I had already been on my medical leave. So I was already home. Yeah. And I was home all the darn time. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like this is normal. <laughs> this is totally normal. So if anything, it was nice. Cause then my husband was home yeah. too. <laughs> like, it's like, I'm not alone. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, it was really scary at first because at this point, you know, we had discovered that I have this rare immune disease, which is probably just from Lyme, um, you know, part of that whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I was no longer making antibodies. So every month mm -hmm. I was getting donated antibodies, and I still do, right? Mm -hmm. That is part yeah. of, like, my probably for the rest of my life yeah. until mm -hmm. it comes back, which I still have faith that it will come back. Um, but yeah, so I am on these, I'm literally on these antibody donations. At this point I was also on IV antibiotics. So I had a pick line hmm. in my arm. Um, and I was really, really scared because I did not know if one more infection, right? Especially this, you know, at the beginning of COVID when mm -hmm. we didn't, yeah, we didn't know, know anything. the scope and how mm -hmm. it can vary so much. Um, so that was really, really scary. I think it didn't, obviously I wasn't making any money. I was um, totally disabled at that point. So it didn't like affect my business because mm -hmm. I wasn't doing anything. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess for me it was just more like fear, like living in this fear and being really isolated. My husband and I were really isolated for quite some time because we were not sure how my body would react. Mm -hmm. um, and then eventually, you know, I think we just got it, right? A year or so later, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> this is, everyone just, I think it was like last year that, yeah, no, it was 2022, beginning of 2022. We got it for the, it was just that like winter that everyone, yeah. there was just, there was no holding back. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and once that happened, then we could start living our life again. And that was a good thing. Yeah. That was for us. For us. That <laughs> was like, yeah. yeah, not having that fear mm -hmm. anymore was yeah. really good. Did you, or have you seen any changes in, I don't know, maybe society at least, like understanding chronic illness more because of COVID? Uh, that's a great question. Yeah. Because we've kind of acknowledged the existence of this long haul COVID. Mm -hmm. um, and so... I don't know, though, if it's helped improve the acknowledgement of the existence of, like, a long-haul Lyme yeah, <laughs> situation. Right, yeah, that's still, like... Like, I think it's so controversial. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, the Lyme world is just, like... I don't know. I don't know why it's so controversial, because, like, there's such good research on right, all of it. Yeah. It's like, how can there be so much controversy when, like, John Hopkins is showing yeah. you over and over and over <laughs> again that Lyme can mm -hmm. be chronic? Um, I think we've just learned that, like when it comes time to our government and health care stuff, there's just a lot of controversy on yeah. everything, yeah. right? Yeah, for sure. So in terms of the future of your career with music or anything else, like where do you see that going? And also I'm curious about like your future child. Like yeah. what are you excited about yeah. in terms of that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like terrified about that. I don't know, it's like excitement and being terrified. Like, I've worked my whole career with some of the hardest kids mm -hmm. that anyone's, right? Like, I've worked my whole career with, like, kids who were, like, kicked out of schools mm -hmm. and, like, kids who, like, did, like the hardest kids. Yeah. I don't know why I'm so terrified of my own. Um, it's probably, I think it's just so different when it is your own child. Mm -hmm. I'm also excited. I'm really excited to break um, intergenerational traumas, mm -hmm. right? Like, I'm so excited to break the cycle, and yes. I know I can. Yes. And I know I, I'm going to be really good at it. Mm -hmm. yep. Like, even with this pregnancy, making sure I'm not starving myself. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, there, right. you're already, I'm already in comments, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, we've already comment yeah. on, on weight. Right. <laughs> and just being like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm my body is going to eat what it needs to eat. Yes. <laughs> this is good. Yeah, and... you're fueling yourself and another human now, so. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And also just recognizing you know, the epigenetic effects on 
starving our bodies yep. and creating stress while we're pregnant yeah. and how that can affect the future mental health and mm-hmm. metabolism of our child. Yes. The research shows. So. Yeah. It really helps to, really helps to be a research enthusiast yeah. when you want to break cycles of trauma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> be like, yeah. I know this is the right thing to do. Like, I know eating enough food is the right thing to do here. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I'm terrified to become a mom, but I, I think I'm going to be a good one. Definitely. And I'm really excited to, like, love the heck out of my baby. Mm-hmm. I already do. It's crazy what happens. How hor- I mean, I'm only 14 weeks in. I'm just like, I love you, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I, which is crazy. I just, it blows my mind mm-hmm. that that, that hormonal con- connection happens yeah. so early, too. Um, and then career-wise, I'm really hoping, so I'm hoping to, like, see myself be healthy enough postpartum. Mm-hmm where I can start teaching teachers and mm. teaching therapists how yeah. to use this, like, music program that I'm putting together mm-hmm. and this album and hopefully a workbook that comes along with it. Because um, I don't know if I'm ever going to have the energy to be doing concerts right. all day. Or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And be going yeah. to see all the kids that need to be seen. But I think I'll have the energy to train a lot of teachers, yeah. train a lot of therapists, mm-hmm. train a lot of family members. Right. Take these into the world. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I think, like, ultimately, when I think of what is my possible biggest impact, it is going to be to, like, train the people who see 200 kids a week, yeah. right? And if I can train 200 teachers or therapists, mm-hmm. and then they each work with 200 right. people, I mean, that's just... Just keeps going. Wow, yeah. yeah, like, how cool would that be? So yeah. that's kind of my hope for the future there, and then um, I'm hoping to release some kids' books, so I've been working... While I was in bed for all that time, I, like, <laughs> developed illustrator skills. Mm-hmm. And photography. And, and photography. <laughs> I needed, I just, like, really needed to keep myself busy mm-hmm. and wanted to do everything I could to prepare myself for the future that I want. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a, right, as a storyteller, I'm like, well, okay, I can't sit up at the piano long enough right now yeah. to play this music. <laughs> and mm-hmm. my voice is, you know, I was really inflamed for a while, so I can't, can't really sing right now, but I can draw. And, yeah. Well, I couldn't, and then I taught myself. <laughs> like, YouTube is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's, like, the bigger picture is to... I really I really want to, like, nationwide mm. have an impact, right? Like, yeah. I want every little kid, by the time they are seven years old, mm-hmm. to have heard my song, yeah. Who Do You Go To? Right. Mm-hmm. So and I want them just like they learn the ABCs yeah. and the wheels on the bus. Just it's make like, it harder. Who do you go to when you need yeah. help? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so I think I'm just gonna spend the next few years doing what I can to make that happen. And then on the other side of things, like I know we haven't gotten here, but I I got super into foraging mm-hmm. and like nature I and ecosystems. I know we haven't gotten there. Like I eat acorns, yeah. like all of this. I know I went down like the eating disorder, the <laughs> realm, which I wasn't expecting to go down. But that's important for people to hear. Yeah. Um, and I think my other like right now I'm really interested in building, you know, resilient minds, resilient bodies, and a resilient planet. So that's, like, my, my core mission value. Yes. <laughs> my, my mission statement yeah. right now is, like, I'm building resilient minds, resilient bodies, resilient planet. And I really want to, while I am bringing these resilient skills to children from a mental health perspective, I also want to be doing a lot of introducing them to these um, foraging and this kind of relationship with the natural world that I've developed in the last mm-hmm. few years because 
that is like think about what a strong connection um you know people are going to come and go in our lives yeah. right mm-hmm. um but hopefully the forest will always be there yeah. mm-hmm. you know a pine tree no matter where you are right you're going to find a pine yeah or you're going to find your oak mm-hmm. um you know and, and like we can still feel at home when we have these things yeah. and I think there's something really special about foraging and being mm-hmm. able to find your own food and your own medicine and feeling that empowerment from that and a sense of connection to the earth and planet and a, a desire to protect it even more mm-hmm. so when you realize how much food yeah. and medicine there is right. on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think my other part of my other mission is really to help kids become good stewards of the land mm-hmm. and of the planet. Yeah, which could be another form of this therapy is like getting out in nature and fresh air and like touching yes. things. And... Yeah, so like where I really see myself being a year from now is be doing concerts that are this like incredible mix of like resilient child therapy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, who are we going to yeah. go to? What are we going to do? And also developing a connection with nature, yeah. right? Like, by singing our acorn song and talking mm-hmm. about how we can eat acorns yeah. and introducing people to acorn brownies and all of They're these so little good. things. <laughs> yeah, to help, mm-hmm. like, connect people yeah. to the natural world that. and doing a lot of education mm-hmm. around, like, some of the toxic chemicals that are not regulated in our country. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That impact, you know, when you think about creating a resilient mind, I mean, these chemicals affect our whole neuroendocrine system. Yeah. And, like, we have so much rampant rampant anxiety and depression at this point. It's like, I know everyone's blaming it on social media, but it's like, God, can we also please look at the chemicals that are known yeah. to be neuroendocrine mm-hmm. disruptors? <laughs> like, can so we please many. look at these? Like, every perfume mm-hmm. or fragrance chemical, like, has phthalates. Like, yeah. Everything. There's yeah. so much stuff. Like, if you are listening to this podcast right now, please remove all the perfumes and mm-hmm. fragrance from your house. And your Tupperware. And your Tupperware. <laughs> yeah. And the BPA. Yep. And the plastic. Like, um, yeah. So that's that's the other mission I'm going to have going forward. And it's like the mission I have to have or I'm mm-hmm. not going to sleep at 3 a.m. Because right. at 3 a.m. I'm going to be like, how can I protect my child? Yes. Yeah. And how I'm going to mm-hmm. do it is by asking the world very politely to stop using perfume and fragrance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And phthalates and plastic and pesticides yeah. <laughs> yeah that would be great thank you do you have a um favorite thing you like to forage i'm sure there's a lot but <sighs> you know acorns are really fun because mm-hmm. it's like you get so much food from such little effort yeah like it's actually sustainable mm-hmm. um <sighs> that's a great question wild blueberries oh yeah can't go wrong with that <laughs> also just and any wild berries mm-hmm. just like Nature's candy. <laughs> yeah. And then in the winter, there is something so comforting about making white pine tea. Mm, yeah. It's just so, so comforting. Mm. And it also, you feel so good. You're like, it is the winter, and I'm giving myself tons of vitamin C right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is amazing. Yeah. So that yeah. feels That's really good. That's too, that you've taught me. Yeah. I feel like every so time simple. we hang out. I learned something new. Right. It's like, so everyone knows, oh, not everyone, but I mean, it's pretty easy to learn how to identify mm-hmm. a pine tree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then make a safe tea from it. Yeah. Like, that feels really good. It's so nutritious. <laughs> yeah. So maybe one day we'll check in in a few years. Yeah. And we'll be like, See where wow. We're like, all of these kids <laughs> can sing this song yeah. now. <laughs> Is there anything before we wrap up that you want people to know about you or music or life or anything going on in your world? I want to give a piece of advice because mm-hmm. I've learned a lot in the last few years. Learn how to ask the right ask. Mm. So on my second album, I'm doing some features with some very popular children's musicians. And it took time to build up the relationships with them where 
you know, it's even possible to ask those things. Um, but learn how to ask the right ask, especially when you're trying to network and move your career forward and you have to ask really scary questions of people mm-hmm. where there could be rejection and there probably will yeah. be rejection. I've mm-hmm. definitely been rejected 10 more times than I've ever been <laughs> said yes to. But what I've learned in the last few years is just learning how to ask the right ask. Mm-hmm. And that could be being super concise in what your ask is and just being super clear. Like I want, you know, for me, it was like, I want you to sing these 14 seconds on this song or... I want you to listen to the song and tell me what you think about this exact thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Like just being so clear and so specific and especially in the ways that you want to collaborate with people. Um, that has been really, really helpful when I kind of realized I had to focus in my asks Mm -hmm. and then it's, you get a lot of yeses once you have a really clear focused ask and the people understand what's really being asked Mm -hmm. of them and it feels manageable. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Nice. Ask the right ask. Do you have a favorite quote? Oh, yeah. I even pulled up my phone. So when I went to the Grammys this year, this is how nerdy I am. I made a whole (laughs) bunch of organic cotton tote bags with my friend um, Carrie, who's from the Sherpa Ant. She, like, I designed it, and then she helped me screen screen print it. And then um, I passed them out at the Grammys. Um, And so the quote was, the easiest way to avoid wrong notes is to never open your mouth and sing. What a mistake that would be. I love that. So yeah, so just a reminder, you're going to make mistakes. It's not going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. But all the amazing things we would miss out on right. if you didn't try. Yeah, that's great. Where can people find you online? <laughs> yeah, so on social media, at Miss Julianne Music. I'm on TikTok for however long we're going to be allowed to use TikTok <laughs> and Instagram. And Facebook, again, if you just look up Miss Julianne Music, and on YouTube, Spotify, all those things, Miss Julianne is um, where I am on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon. And my name, it's really important that it's spelled correctly, because there's like, I think a porn star out there who's <laughs> also Miss Julianne. <laughs> But we have a different spelling, so, like, really just spell it right if you're looking with your kids over your shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, Good tip. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to sing it to you because that's easier to remember it. So it's M-I-S-S-J-U-L-I-E-A-N-N. I'll sing it again because three you need three times. M-I-S-S-J-U-L-I-E-A-N-N. And then one more time. M-I-S-S-J-U-L-I-E-A-N-N. That's how you spell Miss Julianne. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. like cars for kids. Yeah. <laughs> and the last thing I want to ask is, who do you want people to know about in the community or as businesses in general? Just like great people doing great things. Yeah. Should we be checking out? Um, you. Everybody <laughs> knows about you at this point. <laughs> um, I, you know, my friend Sherpa Aunt Carrie, if you are into like hiking, nature stuff, she is, you know, she's this mom of two amazing kids. She's built this graphic design company or like creating t-shirts and art, you know, Mm -hmm. like mountain based themed art. And she's just absolutely incredible. And, um, if you don't have her shirts yet, you should. Mm -hmm. And then Erin Holt. I mean, I don't know her personally, but she has like saved my Mm -hmm. life in so many ways too. And she's from New Hampshire. She's a local. Yeah, she's around the seacoast. (laughs) <laughs> She's right on the seacoast, and especially if you are struggling with your body image or your health or nutrition or eating enough food, she has just been like this word of wisdom in my ear throughout this whole process where I'm just like, you're right. It's okay for me to eat enough food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I can take up space and yeah. I can eat enough food. 
and I can earn my yes. exercise, yes. <laughs> and I can be a badass. Sorry, I don't know if we're swearing or not. Okay. <laughs> but, I can, but like, I can do this. I can be healing, and I can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really like her a lot. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for um, opening your mouth and singing. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for sharing your story, too. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Hey, Julianne. Welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Jen. So good to hear from you. Good. And you've been very busy (laughs) since the last time we recorded. It's been a really busy year. Do you want to give us some updates of what you've been doing and up to and all the life changes that have happened since like had to be a year or so ago that we recorded? <laughs> yeah. So I, I think we were talking about before I was working on this kids album and I released it in September and I'm so proud of myself for getting that out into the world. You're we talking about how it's, um, sometimes it's hard to not be a perfectionist and be like finally release projects without mm-hmm. them being perfect but I have to say I'm so proud of how this project came out and we had some incredible features from Lori Berkner and Fuchs and Stephanie Lovell and it was the kids album it's called Resilient Child and it was received really really well um, from the music community the kids music community the music teacher community and right now it's just kind of teachers are just starting to kind of integrate it into their classrooms and into their lesson plans and it's really cool to see this music that I've been working on so hard for so many yeah, years so long like doing what it's supposed to be doing and I'm getting right? message teachers being like yeah you know there was a fight going on in the in between some kids in the corner and one of the someone else interrupted was like hey guys let's use our coping skills right yeah. I was, like, <laughs> after a lesson where they used my coping skills song Amazing. and right and I was like it's happening it's, it's real happening. <laughs> it's incredible. You know, I'm getting pictures from teachers who are so I made a whole I called it a classroom package I made a whole mm-hmm. package of like worksheets and discussion ideas that teachers could be using around the music and um, I'm getting pictures from teachers who are using these and it's really cool to see the kids identifying their support systems and drawing yeah. them and um, the benefits really- are already happening it's happening and incredible it's really- <laughs> yeah yeah so that's that's happening my mm-hmm. music is thing out in the world and this next year is going to be all about uh, um doing a lot of performances I call mm-hmm. it getting my vocal back so I was like really sick for so long that yeah. I didn't perform as much and this year is going to be all about me just performing getting my feet back below me and um yeah, getting the mission of this album out there and just exposing as many kids as possible to that mm-hmm. music. Right. Many kids as possible to find their coping skills, support systems. And cool. I know the music works. I've seen it now. Yeah. And it'll be really cool to just let it amplify itself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the other big thing that happened <laughs> um, was I had my baby. Yeah. <laughs> So you and, gave birth to two things around yes, the same birth. time, <laughs> like we talked about. Weekend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I released my album Friday and I went into labor Monday morning, the following Monday morning. 
It was all, um, all happening all at once. <laughs> yeah. And so when I recorded the podcast with you, I was just at the very beginning of my pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, man, pregnancy, boy, does it have a lot of lessons to teach? I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I ended up having a pretty, I would say a harder pregnancy, you know, it mm-hmm. could have been worse for sure, but um, my pelvic floor was really affected. So I was pretty immobile and I couldn't walk around too much. Yeah without causing traction so that was that was a little tricky I'm definitely movement is one of my coping skills so Mm -hmm. uh that was hard but I ended up doing a lot of swimming which was a nice change of yeah um and the other thing we talked a lot about in in the podcast was the eating disorder history and past Mm -hmm. and how pregnant really triggering a lot of that especially common weight in your body Mm -hmm. um and it's tricky to go through yeah, it was really hard. And I definitely gained a ton of weight throughout my pregnancy, but it was amazing in a sense where I finally feel like I dealt with it. And mm-hmm. like, I think I finally felt like I was forced to. Yeah, you had to look at it in the face. Yeah, look at this in the face and put it behind me. Mm-hmm. Um, Which, you know, a year ago, if I could have told myself that where I'd be with my body image would be so much different and so much more beautiful and so much more appreciation yeah I think that would have been nice to hear Mm -hmm. um and so what happened was I didn't weigh myself I I didn't like look at the scale I know the doctors like they they would weigh me throughout my pregnancy but I was like I don't want to know I don't want to know I don't want to know I was just really nervous about being triggered by a number and then being and you know Mm -hmm. nine yards yeah understandable and towards the end of my pregnancy I was sitting in the doctor's office and I accidentally looked through the screen right like she had typed in my weight and I accidentally looked in the screen I didn't mean to and usually they turn it away if I don't mm-hmm. if I tell them I don't want to know and, and I saw the number and I just burst into tears in the office oh. like in front of my husband in front of the the midwife mm-hmm. and um I just totally lost it and they were like what is going on <laughs> And I was like, I saw my weight and they're both just like, so <laughs> like, it's just like, it's just, it doesn't matter. And, um, and that moment, there was like this weekend where I had to just like process mm-hmm. that and finally just move on from it. And yeah, and I did. Right. I was like, oh, it doesn't matter. Like I'm, I'm making a baby. Right. Right. Yeah. You're creating like, something big. <laughs> and it's okay and it's you know and I'm I was still getting comments right from family members or well intended but like not helpful right, right? about how fast <laughs> people were turning how fast people were returning to their pre-baby weight yeah and it's like nobody needs to hear I, that <laughs> I don't know I don't need to know that. and I, I I finally came to a point where there was one person in my life who like was really it was every time I saw her it was hmm about weight and baby weight yeah I was really proud of myself I finally told her that I set a boundary I was like Mm -hmm. you know what I'm not I don't want to talk about this this is not important important to me is that I'm having a healthy happy baby and that my body is healthy healthy yeah and I that's not a conversation I want to talk about I don't want to talk about it with you Mm -hmm. anymore yeah Um, and I was so proud of myself and she took it fine right yeah of course whatever that's amazing Um, it's a good boundary yeah (laughs) Yes. And, and I think by setting that boundary to her, I set that boundary for myself too, to just yeah. like, that's not 
topic in my life. Right. Yeah. Standing up for yourself, advocating for yourself and your mental health and just, you know, nobody needs to be commenting on people's bodies anyway. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And, um, yes, I'm really proud of myself. I feel like since last year, when I spoke to you, that was such a big issue for me, Mm -hmm. right? Like the the fear around weight gain. Right. Yeah. And it feels really cool to have overcome that. And Mm -hmm. just like, you know what? I had a baby. I'm making milk. All that matters to me right now is that I'm getting enough sleep and I'm, I can move my body and that's all that Mm -hmm. I'm feeding my baby and that feels like a really cool place to be Mm -hmm. and to let that other fear go to rest love that that's so good I'm so proud of you too (laughs) you've done so much (laughs) and it's yeah it's so funny because when you do so much right you make you make this amazing album you make this baby and then you let a number on a scale right what like yeah. something that you can't control necessarily when your hormones are all over the place like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah right. so, we're defined oh, by so much more than appearance yeah yeah um and I was a sexy pregnant lady right I was oh, a yeah. sexy yeah. pregnant lady so that's, that's another part of it was just like mm-hmm. I do love my large body I was like wow like this is incredible I'm making life and each day that I was able to do it was just a miracle mm-hmm so absolutely think, yeah that really kind of changed my perspective on my body and, yeah and so I'm hoping you know your listeners if any if any of them if that resonated with them um kind of my journey and I think there's a lot of people who really struggle with mm-hmm. stuff just keep working on it man because yeah move past it mm-hmm. let your creative self flow and not be defined by a number on the scale totally you got this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's, those are kind of my, my updates. And, um, you know, my little boy is, he's four months old now. He just rolled over for the first time today. Wow. And he's having a <laughs> poking through today. Wow. Like days oh a day. Goodness. And he's so cute. <laughs> he, ah, he's really adorable. And so he was born with a tongue tie. Mm-hmm. Uh, really significant one I know tongue ties have kind of been in the media lately but um he was really struggling with feeding and has been really struggling so the past mm. four months has really been all about just trying to get enough milk into him yeah. trying to keep my supply up to mm-hmm. do that because it's, it's hard when you have a baby that can't suck hard enough to mm-hmm. those hormones yep your body's so like been, what's happening yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so there's been a lot of trials um, but we're getting through them and it's interesting becoming a mom, having worked with kids my whole life right now, becoming a mom, right. Being every child in such a different light. Wow, we all, yeah. we all made yeah. it. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Seeing all these moms who have made it through multiple children and dads, mm-hmm. like it's both, but, um, just wow. Yeah. So much respect for all these people who have had kids. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it's amazing. We're all here. Mm-hmm. It really is. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So that's kind of that's my little recap. Love that. Do you have any um like performances that you've already booked out that you want to tell people about? Or is that still kind of in the works? Yeah. So what I'll say, I am currently in the process of working with a ton of libraries nice. in New Hampshire in particular. Um 
So on my website, missjillian.com, there will be a like concert section. So make sure you're checking there. They're going to be um, some of the libraries are booking foraging walks mm, with me, actually. That's fun. My life. And they'll be what we call like walking things. So we're mm-hmm. going to be going with kids. We're going to be walking through local trails in their towns and singing songs along the way, learning about the plants along the way. So some libraries are doing that. And some of them are going to be doing just like kind of your standard um, concert indoors. Mm-hmm. So Amazing. yeah, but definitely look forward to those. Yeah, um, it sounds so fun. Yeah, they're gonna be really fun and we have a four-piece band this year Ooh. Not all, most of the shows won't won't be that but there will hopefully be a couple four-piece concerts this year so you can meet the whole band that's amazing <laughs> that. yeah, and then the whole like this is all um preparation for mm-hmm. 2025 where we're hoping to be doing much more at least on the east coast and then hopefully more nationally um as a touring group so excellent that's, that's hope i'm just yeah. putting out there it may happen you know yes. it's gonna be hard with a one-year-old to be touring <laughs> why not right yeah I, I, you can I do it that. yeah <laughs> i think so, it'd be so cute <laughs> to have him along give me a band member mm-hmm. i know i'm like I keep saying he's gonna play he's gonna i need a banjo player so i keep saying like i just i'm gonna start training him so. yeah <laughs> be a banjo, banjo player, player. <laughs> I'll be a prodigy banjo player. Yes. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. that's awesome. And then my son's name is Jack, and um, Jack Pine mm-hmm. is his full name. And so the Jack Pine is one of the most resilient trees we have here in New England. It grows off the sides of cliffs, um, and it needs fire in order to reproduce. Mm-hmm. So it's going to open up in fire. So it's one of those trees that. Um, survives the forest fires and actually mm-hmm. and um I thought that was really appropriate name for this child of mine so yeah. the resilient yeah. child <laughs> yeah love that that's so great well thank you so much for rejoining the podcast and for the updates I'm really excited to see what's next and excited for your performances and I think everyone should go listen to that album, whether you're an adult or a kid. I think it's really great for everybody. <laughs> so I hope they do. Yeah. Yeah. It hits home. I think mm-hmm. if you're an adult, one I would suggest listening to first is where do you feel safe? And that one I'm mm. doing. With and um, I think I'm, I'm hearing from a lot of adults that that one is really like saying the words they need to hear. Yeah. Nice. Love that. Awesome. Cool. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe, follow, and give us a review if you liked what you heard today. You can find us on Instagram at tellnortheast and online at tellnortheast.com. Got someone you think we should interview? Email us at info at tellnortheast.com. If you'd like to help support the podcast and let people know about your business, we're accepting sponsorship and ad opportunities. Just shoot us an email. We'll see you next time.